This is Coda Radio, episode 464 for May 2nd, 2022. Hello, good looking, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us, probably with a musical instrument in hand, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, and welcome to the very southern episode of Code Radio. <laughs> oh, no, this is my fault. I mentioned Kevin Spacey. <laughs> now we're all Frank. <laughs> and, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I first of all, if I'm going to eat spare ribs, I'm going to do it before the restaurant opens <laughs> in an alley, creepily wearing half a suit. Right. I mean, that's how you got to eat your barbecue, right? And then when I take a girl on a date, if we're near a train, mm, baby, got to watch out. Don't go in the subway with Frank. Although I should have read that Netflix contract quite a bit more carefully. <laughs> quite a bit more. Netflix might be knocking on the door of some of their uh, original content actors and creators because maybe they need to uh, run the hits again. They're not doing so good, my friend. But you know what? In America, you can sue everybody. I think we're about to witness uh, peak streaming. We'll see. Maybe the great streaming consolidation will happen. I, I, I just want to interrupt here. Someone heard my Kevin Spacey just now in the chat and literally said, bring back Jar Jar. <laughs> oh, no. In 13 years, this is the first time anybody has ever asked for Jar Jar. We didn't think it could get worse. But if you so miss me, me so back, bitches. No, we don't miss you. Oh. Phantom Menace is better than the new prequels you know what you might be right first of all the force awakens is literally a new hope with like a spit shine so that that doesn't count sorry sorry oh and and hayden christensen is coming back because we can't help ourselves let me ask you this though okay brace yourself because i think i got you here isn't it more of an atrocity because lucas was hands-on with the prequels whereas these disney bastardizations they're like it's a whole new you know, group of people. I mean, it's some people from LucasArts, but, you know, it's not it's not George. But like the prequels were really bad and the acting and the writing was really, really bad. And that's all on George's hands. Right. Like which is a bigger atrocity, in my opinion. It's worse. I'm going to tell you why it's worse. See, George Lucas is like a guy who was really, really drunk and crashed his car and totaled it. Disney intentionally crashed the car stone sober for the insurance money, for that sweet, sweet merchandising revenue. That's probably true. Plus, it makes for some sweet theme parks. I mean, of course you need a Darth Vader for Gen Z. I'm just saying, like, look at what they did. Who's Obi-Wan? Um, Ray? <laughs> kind of Luke, I guess, but, like, really Ray, right? Oh, and we have to add a super handsome dude who's a pilot because, well, didn't Han Solo exist? Yeah, and he, yeah, he has to be, like, that certain kind of character too like. he's kind of roguish right like yeah, exactly you know you know he's a good man but he's got some edges you know like like if you know if your daughter brought him home you'd be like oh, i don't know honey but damn he's so charming let me throw another curveball at you because in the era of streaming a lot of classic legacy i guess i don't know what to call them other than ip but i was trying to think of a better word but you know what i'm talking about like your star treks your star wars your teenage mutant ninja turtles They've been brought back, right? Like CBS All Access has like a whole slate of Star Trek shows, but they're all written by the same like team. So all the shows are kind of the same, even though they're all different. They're all different shows, but it's they're all written by the same core writers and producers. Do we have to bash Discovery again? 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always, I'm here for Sure, it. of course. I mean, that's easy. But here's where I'm going, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm wondering what you think. Could it be that the problem is, is that we are now watching content being created by people that are younger than us? So this is, okay, you have just opened a door. Dare I say, you have activated the spore drive, and we are on the mycelial plane, and I'm about to <laughs> dunk hard on Discovery. Do you know what's wrong with Discovery? What? And I just finished watching all of Discovery, and I thought I didn't like Voyager. It makes Voyager look amazing, and Voyager, frankly, isn't that bad. Dude, people hated Enterprise at the time. You know, Enterprise is good. It is taken to a whole nother level now. And when you view it after watching Discovery and Picard, I'd seriously, if you're a Star Trek fan, oh, Picard. if you're just curious about how, how writing has changed, Picard's a mess. Oh. Watch Picard or watch Discovery and then go watch Enterprise. And Enterprise was like the peak Star Trek production where like the production was all normalized. They had a whole machine behind it. They had like these go-to character actors that played like, Pivotal roles like Jeffrey Combs and yeah, the 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 not Klingon, the uh, Vulcan dude and Dorian. He also plays a Ferengi. I just watched the episode last night where he plays a Ferengi, and it's just so great. Even their weak episodes are better than the highlights of the season from Discovery. So we're throwing out the dock, at least for now. Apparently, yeah, we're we're, we're going with modern Star Trek. So TNG doesn't count. That's old Star Trek. I just want to say, I would say modern Star Trek starts with DS9 and Voyager, which were weirdly, for folks who don't know, like chronologically synchronized, right? Like they're, didn't they air on opposite nights or something? Like they were, they were direct competitors. For a first couple of seasons of Voyager, DS9 ran, but I feel like the new era does start with TNG, but it just wasn't fully flushed out until like season six and seven. Yeah, I feel like most of TNG is basically better effects original star trek and then ds9 it's really midway into ds9 where they start to get like the story continuity and stuff like that i really i know people don't like ds9 i actually really like ds9 and i've mentioned this before but i don't know i i i'm i'm super down with the idea that like what if you had to actually hold your goddamn ground right right like you weren't just like flying away and having adventures that yeah and as a result they got some of the best guest stars exactly so 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 the problem with discovery is the most interesting character on the first season of Discovery is Captain Lorca. My wife says this every time we watch Discovery. It's not that he's evil, right? It's not the spoilers, I guess. So I'll give you a beat. One, two, there's your two beats. If they didn't do the alternate dimension bullshit and just make him like a cartoon character level villain in the next season, how about an actual guy or gal? It could be a gal, right? It's, it's, it's not a gender thing. It's It's whatever that was a Starfleet captain, but kind of like didn't buy into all the right? That kind of was like, no, we need to kill our enemies because if I'm easy on them, they kill my people. Remember the Battle of the Binaries? That's his whole thing, right? His whole argument before they make him a cartoon villain is, but they murdered lots of our people and they're super cool with killing women and children and civilians. Yeah, he was an interesting character. He was a new spin on that role. Honestly, he's a more realistic like before they make him a cartoon character, he's a lot more like what like an actual military man would be like. Like, no, no, we, we got to win. Which would be time appropriate. That would have been time appropriate back then. But they couldn't help it because like we have to understand the people. Like the best episode, I think, is it's the first season. The Klingons are attacking the mining colony. And you see the man. He's holding his child. It's, you know, kids and everything. And Lorca is just like, no, we're we're getting there. We're we're going to dunk on them like the thirsty, rigid head folks that they are. 
And somehow we decided to have feelings again. Like this is Star Trek's fatal flaw to me. It believes in a reality that can't possibly exist. And it's it, and it is not the warp drive that's the problem or the spore drive. I hate Discovery. If you watch the rest of Discovery, like the Emerald Chain, like that lady has a point, right? Like she's not wrong. All the dilithium crystals are gone. No one can do warp travel. I love it. You always you're identifying with the villains. It's so great. No, it's just like, she's like, dude, let's make an alliance because we have to keep in line. If we don't keep it in line, crazy pirates do crazy things. And yeah, they do. Here's what I'm thinking. And, and here's where I go with this. So I think what it is, is that the writers of these shows have a different set of values, so it reflects that in their writing. And now I'm wondering, as we talk about this, does this also apply to software? Like, so let's just say for a moment that the average developer of GNOME is like 25, 27, maybe 30 years old. Is that true? I don't know. I don't think so. But I have talked to several members of the GNOME project that are young. So they're like, you know, early 20s. I mean, we're not that much older. It's a 20-year difference for me. And so maybe there's just a different set of values. And 10 for me, but okay, yeah, sure. I'm wondering if that does play a factor in software development. If what, you know, what age you are, what you value at that time, what you focus on, which may change over time, better or worse, I'm not making a judgment call there. But I wonder if that reflects, just like we're seeing it potentially reflected in Star Trek and in Star Wars, do we see it in software? And is that maybe one of the problems we have in free software is we either have this issue where it's a bunch of gray beards and once they age out, nobody replaces them. Or we have the opposite end of the spectrum where it's sort of like college kids or kids getting out of high school, which is great, but also maybe not the best if they're the majority of the project. Well, this is funny because you and I were having a private conversation earlier today and every once in a while I will mention on Twitter that I'm going to open Core Alice or I'm going to try to. And I get more hate for that than just saying I'm keeping it proprietary to hell with it. Like, <laughs> you guys pay me. Right. And you know what it might be? And I think this is what you're driving at. And I think you just nailed it is it's like exposure bias because we are exposed to availability, which is Twitter, YouTube, things like Telegram, real time chat rooms. They're kind of a selective group of people. They're not necessarily representative of the broader spectrum of folks who have a very busy life and don't have time to participate in an online community or don't have anything to promote. They don't have anything they want to let people know about. So they literally have no reason to engage in social media and can't be bothered to. And so they don't get their positions reflected properly in the conversation. I'm going to hit it a little harder, though. The folks being super negative and like mean to each other also have very little or nothing of their own to promote. And so there's no cost to them. Right. Like every time I do or say something stupid, there's a cost to me. Same for you. Right. You've been everybody makes a mistake. Sure. I mean, folks don't know how hard it is to do a live show every week. It's easy to misspeak. It's easy to say something maybe where you assume that people are going to take it with charity. But uh, I don't know if you've ever been on Reddit. You can't always be up in your head either about, well, what is the psychology of the person listening? Because then it just locks you up and it freezes you up. So it is it is a particularly challenging kind of work because you want to speak freely so that way you can tell your you know your actual honest truth you can also be engaging and at the same time if you're processing how are people going to take this all the time which you can't help but do but if you're doing that a lot you kind of ruin it you kind of wreck the conversation and it kind of becomes this watered down discussion and that's a tricky tricky thing and people can be upset because you know they they look at situations differently 
anyways, I didn't mean to derail you, but I just wanted to kind of underscore like how challenging that that is a challenging thing there. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback, you know, this week. Some of it, you know, we've chosen to respond to privately. I mean, I I hadn't thought about it the way you had that maybe like I'm a little younger than you, right? Sorry. Your hair is better though, so what do you care? <laughs> but like we're not that far apart, right? Maybe it is a a generational thing that you know, and, and who knows, right? Like maybe they're right. I don't know. I just you know, to me, I I came up in that time when the big win, if you were an engineer, was to go talk to your manager or the VP or whoever the director, you know, the companies have word structures, and get them to open source anything. And even if that was like Apache or BSD open source, even if they were doing it for purely like to edge out a competitor, like bad reasons, that was a win. You got a gold star. Here's your tux plushie. And it didn't matter who you were, right? You could be, you know, Planned Parenthood. You could be the Catholic Church, right? I'm trying to go to extremes. Now it's kind of like, well, no, but is the person who open sourced it in some way evil? I don't know. I, you know what? There's a reason. I, yeah, I'm going to watch Star Trek original series again and make myself feel better. That's <laughs> we should move on. That's yeah. It's like it's TNG's like my security blanket. I love it. It never goes wrong. Oh, DS9, man. Do you know why? If Quark's bar ever existed. I don't think I'd ever show up to the show. Oh, man. I'd come down there and I'd join you and we'd just do it from the bar. In the holodeck. You just throw me in the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, would be down for that. I could go for a holodeck. That's why maybe the VR was so appealing. We're not going to talk about our disappointment yet, are we? No. I-, I was more like picturing us chilling in the bar, you know, having some drinks, talking some code or stuff. I think that'd be pretty great. I could drunkenly talk to Klingons and see how that goes. See, yeah, we'll see how, how long that lasts. <laughs> All right. Well, now getting into the show. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. News eject boosted in with uh, 2,222 sats. Speaking of free software funding from last episode, did you guys know that the Mozilla Foundation is the 100% owner of a for-profit corporation known as the Mozilla Corporation? And did you know that the same person that runs the foundation also runs the corporation? And that the Linux Foundation has gotten into selling NFTs on their Hyperledger while also selling their Platinum membership, which is $500,000 a year to companies like Microsoft, Meta, Oracle, VMware, and others. Do you think these types of foundations are bad for developers? I can't help but notice the people who run these foundations get rich and only a small handful of the people writing the software make anything close to a livable wage. I note here that this is a conversation that you and I have been skirting around. I think Snooze Eject kind of nails it right on the head in an uncomfortable way that we didn't really want to say out loud. (laughs) Curious and curious, sir. I mean, it does become concerning, doesn't it? Yes, that is definitely a diplomatic way to put that. Yes. I don't know what else to say about it, though, really. You can't undo it, I don't think, at this point. You're not going to unwind these foundations. And in some way, they are at least paying for some stuff. I just want to say, for over a decade, you and I have been discussing funding software development. And it's still a problem. And I think that's where maybe we should leave it. I mean, I know you're right. And I know it's it's hopeless. But this is why I have been talking about the value-for-value value model more and more, even though people hate it when I do. But I think they need to hear this. I think we have to consider that foundations... And Google and Amazon are not going to solve this problem. And I think we have to consider just building in and, 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 and creating this culture of a mindset that if you get value from a free software project, 
you exchange value in some way back, be it be documentation, be it code, be it monetary. I mean, I have another word for that. Hmm. Open core. Sure. Could, that could be a way you could contribute core. You could contribute code back to the core. You could help bug test it. Right. You, you could have open core can be very liberal, right? You could, the, the beautiful thing about writing the license is that you get to write the damn license. I don't know. You can write any it's like any contract. I think it's a culture problem. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a license problem. I think it's a culture issue. And I think I believe open source and free software projects haven't been been selling their value. They haven't been pitching. They don't they don't sell. They don't sell. That's basically they don't sell and they don't tell users that we actually need this. And I am also of the opinion that there really hasn't been a good facility and means to do it. And I think these boost type systems where you're doing a peer to peer payment system where you can afford to send $3 or $2, you can't even do that with the U.S. dollar. None of these payment systems make it viable to send that kind of amount of money. And so we have people who listen to this show and they have turned on sat streaming in their podcasting 2.0 app. And as they listen, they just send us a few sats in the background every few minutes. Mm. And it, it ends up being maybe 55 cents for them at the end of the listening session or a dollar, they, you know, whatever they set it to. And we could be doing that same exact thing. We could be. All of the technology pipeline is there, but we would still hit that cultural issue. So we have to also fix that. It's something we have to bake in. It's something we used to talk about more and it, and it, and it got away from us. And I think part in part because of these sort of centralizations that have occurred and in part because of blowback that's occurred. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's been coming up a lot on the show. Uh, I've also seen more free software projects embracing things like Matrix and Mastodon for their coordination. Uh, I even joined the podcasting 2.0 Mastodon. I'll put a link to that in the show notes just because, you know, I don't, not a big Mastodon, not a big social media person, but it's sort of like a, a really niche focused communications platform where people are talking about the backend development that's happening for podcasting 2.0. And the developers are communicating with other developers about the things they're working on in this very vertical Mastodon instance. I, that might have legs long term. I don't know. Maybe not. But it, it does feel like we've we've reached a tipping point that is not healthy for small developers or developers of all these libraries that kind of end up being the glue bits that, you know, turn colors on or can do something that just is a nice to have that gets pulled in as a dependency and turns out, you know, tens of thousands of projects are using that and that person's not making a dime. And we have the means. We just don't have the will or the care to do it, I think. That's it. Not enough people give a this is really not my role, but I'm going to try to take down the negativity, Umpo. Maybe there's a way forward. I'm going to shut up about open core because it usually lends us with a lot of bad emails. But sometimes a compromise is better than nothing, right? Because I got to tell you with the, and we're going to talk about Intel in a minute here, but with the M1 chips, with Apple's just, frankly, Thanos level grip on independent developers right now in terms of mobile, but frankly, the whole world, right? I think maybe we need to make some compromises with uh, values because the, the alternative is these big... Listen, the Facebook VR store we had last week was horrific, right? F what was it, 50% they wanted? 50 yeah, basically. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. So if what you're doing isn't working, you have to stop. And that's what I feel about, frankly, the Linux community at this point. We're fighting about stuff for no reason. And... I know and you know, you and I both know a lot of folks who are pretty deep into the community that are now quietly running M1 Mac Pros. 
And basically not participating much anymore. Not participating, right. They got good jobs or they, they're doing their businesses because they're just tired of the nonsense. Well, this is an interesting email that we, that came into the show that kind of uh, reflects on this. So Jimmy wrote in about the cycles of centralization. He says, I, I like to listen on my walks and bike rides, but I always forget to send feedback. Maybe this will be great, he says, about the boost since it's right there in the podcast app while I'm listening. But he sent this in via the contact form. He says, I know you guys have been talking a lot about decentralization in different contexts. And I wanted to add that I think this is just part of the oscillization of capitalism in general. It seems like industries have a tendency to centralize over time, like gravity, if you will, for a variety of reasons. It's not just because a dominant player buys out others, but also because there is a certain economy of scale that lowers the price of products and services. Also coincides with the lower barriers of entry for new users and customers, and users want the most with the least amount of effort, and someone will always come around to offer that, which leads, eventually, decentralization. And this routinely happens with technology. It'll even happen with cryptocurrencies eventually. And you already do see it happen with companies like Coinbase and Robinhood and Cash App and stuff like that. But he says technology will then oscillate back and something will break out to decentralize once again. Like Batman and the Joker, they're doomed to do this forever. It's a feature, not a bug. We're definitely in a centralization cycle right now. And I think uh, Jimmy kind of nails it. Maybe some of these things we're talking about are going to lead to to decentralizing more, and maybe we'll find a balance there. It would be really interesting if all of this upset around Twitter and the Elon purchase leads to Twitter becoming less relevant, and then essentially we have a decentralization of social media, so then no one social media platform drives the media narrative as much as we're seeing today. That could be a great outcome. It's essentially Twitter becomes less relevant. Why do you think it'll become less relevant? I could see it happening simply because the folks behind the media companies are not going to take a platform run by Elon. They're not going to run their whole slate of programming off of that. Do you remember when we were watching the news and all of a sudden they just like started putting up screenshots of Twitter all the time? And it like it was weird, right? I think that fades away because Elon changes the general tone on the platform and the narrative. I think that means that they don't want to use it as a source of truth anymore. It just seems like it's a drug that's too easy to hit, but we got to keep moving. Yeah, you're right. It is. It is very handy. Bossy writes in. He says, uh, been listening for a few months. Love the show. I was wondering what your take is on Elon's statement that free speech law should apply to social media and what that means for the comment sections on places like websites, especially if it results in some sort of legislation. Do you think this will eventually have a trickle down concern for small shops down the road? Once again, love the show. If kind of one of the reactions to this is we start like, you know, following up on defamation and stuff like that on social media like Twitter, do you think that would spread to the rest of the web? Yes, but I have a probably surprising take on this. I don't like a lot of what I consider an overreaction to history in the moderation stuff. Like, I really don't think you should go dig into someone's tweets or emails or whatever when they were like 18 or 17 or like a kid to f them out of a job. I sort of think we just all need to grow up and like teenage boys in particular are kind of bad people. And uh, that's that's fine, right? They're kids, kids are stupid. Chris and I are both fathers. We, we're pretty, pretty, <laughs> they do dumb things, right? That's why you have to protect children. <laughs> that's why they can't vote. So like, the, it, it, it's, the, this, I hate this like witch hunt thing where we go back, well, when you were in college, you said this misogynistic thing. I'm like, well, I don't know, like Chris and I were lucky enough that social media, and, and for him it's even better, was not a huge thing. Like it was just new. And I remember Facebook wasn't even at my school. 
there are things I said in the really early podcast, like our Cast Blaster podcast, that we would never say or do now. Well, right. Like, like I just want to say, like, teenage boys have some bad ideas because mostly they're joking and they're like immature. So I, I sort of, I don't know how you can't, you can't make this a law. You can't like legislate a, a free speech shield that no one can ever, because ultimately Twitter is a private corporation. I think of it as clubs, right? If you're from the North and I, they have them down South, but it seems to work differently here. It's a private club, right? If you're a member of the club, there are certain standards of behavior that they expect you to hold. I have never been a member of one of these clubs because I wasn't. All right, folks, here's another Mike lesson in history. Stay a while. Stay a while and listen. Part of living up north is like wasp exists, if you don't know what that means. And if you are one, you definitely know what that means. And they don't like certain types of people. And it's surprising how expansive they are about not letting them into their clubs. And to me, that's annoying. It's been a source of irritation for me because I'm a, the way I am. But I feel like a private company, a private platform is a club, ultimately. And if the owner of the club doesn't want you there, well, then he or she can throw you out. They could set the rules. So, again, I hate that technology is so intertwined with this media crap now, this moderation crap, because I would much rather be talking to you about cool Python packages. But we, we can't escape it. I mean, it affects my business. It definitely affects Chris's. Because advertising is a part of a whole nother, he could speak to it more, but like you cannot piss off your advertisers and they're more sensitive than they've ever been before. Not ours specifically, but like the thing he's getting at with Elon is that the big media brands will get mad because they don't like Elon and when they will pull the ad, their advertising from Twitter. Is that fair? That is definitely one of the concerns it seems to be, yeah. Right. So it's 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 like, I, I don't know, my, my inner libertarian is like, yeah, it's a private club, you can throw people out. But I can't imagine running my business, the Mad Botter Inc., without being able to use any social media because someone didn't like that I'm like not super. I think that's it. I think that's the nut of it. And I've been really struggling because I, I really don't care. But then I realized people view this as like the platform they go to to express their position. And now they're concerned that ability is going to be taken away from them. And, and other people go there because they feel like they have to, to be, in order to even just reach a few hundred people. I don't really know. I, maybe there is something to it. Maybe it's more important than I realized, or maybe it's not. Maybe we're about to discover it's not that important at all. And I feel like that's the fork in the road we're at right now. If you had to advertise to small and medium businesses, the idea of getting your company account or even your account banned on Twitter or Facebook would be, it's just not acceptable. I mean, it, it, is, it is the most cost efficient way to reach out to these folks. All right, well, since we've already taken the show off the rails completely, I'm going to go even deeper. I've started a conversation that is really already exploding. We're redoing everything online for Jupiter Broadcasting. Yes. It's a massive project. I got to have the community's help. And that conversation kicked off in Office Hours, Episode 3, OfficeHours.Hair. Go there. Even if you just go there for the links, it's OfficeHours.Hair slash 3. Uh, new Website Energy is the podcast episode title. We uh, sat down with Alex, Brent, Wes, myself, just to kind of outline some of the ideas we have. And then we put up a GitHub repo where we can start collecting ideas. And it's just, it's huge already. And so I'd like to get the coder audience involved. That seems like an obvious step next. And so I wanted to let everybody know. I brought, I'm bringing you in behind the curtain for a moment 
That's happening right now. It's a summer project. Our hosting provider let us know we have until the end of summer to get the F off the platform. So it's something we have a deadline we're serious about, and we're kind of taking in ideas, and we've already gotten some ideas we hadn't even considered before. So officehours.hair to check that out. I am thinking things are about to get a little bit more sketch. Intel CEO Pat Glester anticipates that the end of the chip shortages won't be until 2024. In fact, he was originally saying 2023, but now it looks like things are even worse. I got just a brief clip of him talking to Bloomberg about this issue. Overall, though, the big story is around building up the semiconductor capacity. And we had felt like 23, we'd start to see that equilibrium. Now, in no small part because of some of the equipment shortages, the equipment that goes into the fabs that we're building, we're seeing those lead times push out substantially. And as a result, we expect the overall semiconductor shortage to not be resolved until 2024 now, as some of those capacities come online. Yeah, and Apple in their earnings call a couple of days ago said they expect an $8 billion reduction in sales due to, in large part, the COVID-19 lockdowns in China that will reduce supply chain. And uh, Tim Cook said they're considering spinning up more uh, supply chain or uh, more manufacturing, but the supply chain issue would still remain an issue. So even if they bring manufacturing over to India, he said, they still can't get the bits they need to actually build the devices. $8 billion, by the way is like an entire business, right? It is all of like the iPad sales for Apple. Well, yeah, I guess, but... Hmm. It's a big chunk of change. It's a lot of money. And here's what's even scarier, is Intel didn't meet their expectations. That's not good, so Intel stock is down, but it's not too bad. It's, it's bounced back a little bit. But the CEO in there, in that full clip that I'll have linked in the show notes, part of what he says is going to make things work out and everything's going to be rosy, and we don't need to worry, is that he says they're expecting a large commercial purchase in the fall for like refreshing machines at uh, businesses now that people are coming back to work and he expects a whole bunch of business machines to be replaced. And so he thinks that's going to boost their sales a whole bunch may happen, but if it doesn't happen, it looks like Intel could be set for some serious losses. I'm going to avoid the political stuff because I think we've done enough of that here. But like, it would be great if maybe things weren't built in one specific place, right? Just saying. Yeah, but that that's that is what it is now, right? <laughs> so that 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 ship sailed. Right, that happened in the '80s or mm, late '80s, early '90s. I, you know, it, it. If I was buying a laptop right now, and my choices were Intel, AMD, one of the new AMDs, right, or Apple. I would probably, Intel would be my last choice, I guess is how I should put it. They're frankly not that competitive. Well, that's why I think they think, and this is what the CEO says in that interview, like the commercial market now is their bread and butter. The business machines, people that have work desktops running Windows. I can see that. Dell, effectively Dell. Yeah, your Dells and your HPs, right? And then you have Gamers are, are probably buying Ryzen systems or some of the high-end Intel systems, but they're just not a huge percentage of their purchases. And now you have Apple, one of the largest PC sellers, is no longer using their chips. And so they're focusing on commercial. Well, and the other news we don't have in the notes is that Apple's Mac sales have skyrocketed. The reason Apple's reporting a shortfall is because they can't make enough of them. In fact, I think they were the only PC manufacturer to show significant growth in the last quarter. Yeah, it's those M1 machines. But it's not just Intel and Apple. It's going to be the whole industry. And, you know, at first we were back in 2021, we were told 
you know, it'd be better. It'd be better mid 2022. Then we got to 2022 and we said, well, it looks like it's going to be 2023. Now we're not even to mid 2022. And they say, well, now it's going to be 2024. Both Apple and Intel are saying this isn't going to be better until 2024. And I wonder if there is opportunity for developers in the midst of this chaos. And I, this could be way off, but what if we saw a bit of a kind of Cuban car moment happen with our technology where because we cannot get our hands on the new stuff, in this case, it's supply chain issues, but for the Cubans, you know, it was an embargo. And so they couldn't import new cars. And so they had no choice but to develop a car culture and repair them and keep them running. And now they have some of the most beautiful classic cars in the world. And they're like a specialty item that that rich people import. And I have an article about this that talks about how once that U.S. embargo was created and the banning of American cars and parts was in place, Cuba just essentially did a huge DIY repair program. What if we saw something like that happen again? Maybe not like full fledged. It's only going to be for a few years. But what if what if like those kiosks in the mall start coming back that offer screen repair and battery replacement? And yeah, it's not as easy, but at least they can do it. And, you know, maybe maybe we start seeing more of that and people reuse stuff instead of get rid of it. Is that an impossibility? Yeah. I mean, I think it's possible. I, I don't think it's going to be as widespread as you'd like. I mean, the dirty little secret here is for most business users you know, the the current processors are just fine. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a story that I don't think we're going to dive into deeply this week, but we'll do it next week about, um, it's from Hacker News, why why are all these terminal development companies going to the cloud, to the web? And the answer is, well, because the world has changed. Having a, a honking workstation is not that important for most business users. In fact, most things are now over the network. So, I mean, we mentioned warp terminal, the uh, the... I forgot his name, Zach, Zachary something, but he's a formal Google Drive engineer. He's a, He had a fancy title. But, you know, his whole thing is he basically wants to take the Google Docs experience to the terminal. And that's, I don't know. I mean, I'm currently hiring something we're going to talk about in a little bit that I would prefer to hire on site, but that seems almost impossible. Though my point is, it makes less and less sense to spend a lot of money on individual folks' computers than it does to spend on honking, frankly, server equipment or cloud services that can synchronize our work between everybody. Totally. I could see cloud workstations become even more popular in the supply chain crunch. And what a great time to also save cost. Yeah. And then also that really works a lot better for work at home, too, because they can just open up that remote cloud terminal using a client software at home and they have the same experience and security. And for for uh, InfoSec, if the person leaves the company or whatever, no shows for three days, you just disable their access. That's it. They have nothing. I know we have some listeners that are using cloud desktops and they've been using them for a little bit. So I'd love to know what your experience has been. And if you see this market growing, coder.show slash contact or send us in a podcasting 2.0 boost and let us know uh, what your experience has been and where you think it's going. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 and 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support this here show. Linode is fast, reliable, fantastic cloud hosting. You've got to go try it for your next project. It's what I've used for the last couple of years now. And Linode's been rolling out NVMe storage, so the rigs are super fast. They have 11 data centers around the world, and they're always optimizing for performance. 
and they have 30 to 50% lower prices than the big hyperscalers that want to lock you into their esoteric platforms. And if you're going to be at KubeCon EU, say hi to Linode. They got a booth there May 16th through the 20th in Spain. Man, am I jealous of that. If you're a performance hound, you're going to love Linode. If you've never set up a server before, you're going to be fine at Linode. And if you've been racking and stacking boxes for 20 years, you're going to love how much easier Linode just made your job. They have great documentation. Their API is clean and simple. And the reality is there's a ton of tooling already built for you to take advantage of. Libraries, command line tools, apps. It's great. Linode's been doing this for nearly 19 years. So they've built a passionate community and a dedicated following. Some of your absolute favorite projects, apps, media companies, the whole range they run on Linode. Linode, turns out, is the secret sauce behind a ton of our favorite online companies. Not all of them talk about it all the time because, you know, it's part of their secret. We get it, but we know. Oh, we know. And often you'll find people proudly talking about it because when you've been a Linode customer, you generally have great things to say. And one of the things I hear from Coder listeners all the time is that nobody beats Linode's support. So when you got great pricing, great performance, great support, and it's a way to support independent productions like this here podcast, well, that's a pretty good combination. So go try it for real. Go learn something, go build something, go try something and get that $100. Linode.com slash coder. Stay a while and listen. I've been waiting to hear a bit of a story from you. I, I, I have a sense that you had a comedy of errors occur. Oh, yes. So we'll do this quick because we're at the end of the show. So we had a partnership uh, or have. I'm not going to exactly name names because I, I didn't get permission. I got an email abruptly telling me that, you know, basically go pound sound. We were no, not interested in being in business with you. This was an Alice partnership. Oh, lovely. Lovely. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you can imagine how I would respond to that kind of thing. Not Not well. Not well. And, you know, poor form on my part, too. It turned out that what had happened is that there was another dude named Michael that they were in a partnership with. No. And the, the, yes, the person had a medical issue that I was dealing with and he had to be on leave for a week. So his interim got confused and very awkwardly sent a check to the other company who the gentleman running that company's name is Mike. And fired us. <laughs> of course, it was it wasn't. They weren't a client. It wasn't a firing, but it was like a, a dissolving our our relationship. So this guy comes back, and we had done nothing that we had agreed to do because obviously, you know, I thought whatever happened happened. And there was this very. I can only describe this this Zoom call as the most cringe core thing I've ever had, where basically. Like, well, you freaked out. What's going on? I'm like, well, you know, you guys, you, you, you didn't keep your obligations. And then you just ghosted us. And then you came back and said, and it just ended up the two of them. I'm like, oh, wait, huh? <laughs> they muted. There was a misunderstanding. He had the wrong email. There's another Michael at something. Yeah. That is literally what happened. It's common. There's a lot of Chris's out there, too. And it's made me think, like, we really should have come up with some kind of ID verify in emails. Yeah. Like maybe not mandatory, but really common practice would have been great. <laughs> well, and I just want to say the email I got was 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 like hard. It wasn't a, hey man, sorry, things. it was a, frankly, go pound sand email. Somebody was surprised they just got a big bill and they were angry. Right. 
and I, it's it, which is weird because we didn't build them anything because we were partnering with them and doing a rev share. So I was kind of like, what? And then, of course, the natural response to so scummy MBA types. Well, I almost said scum this mean, but MBA types when they send you a mean email will never answer your calls again. They want it all documented. But I tried like the next morning because the email came in at like midnight. I'm like, you know what? I've been there. I've sent the bad email. I've sent the bad Slack message. Maybe somebody's, you know, frankly, in their cups. Let's just take a breath. I'll call in the morning. Oh, I couldn't even like I was getting straight like it, you can tell when your number's blocked because it just rings out and you always get the voicemail, right? And yeah, it it was it 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 still continues to be awkward. So you should write him back and be like, "Hey, uh, go learn about GPG keys. Let's get this." No, I'm kidding. Of course, that's not going to work. I sent them Alice stickers actually <laughs> because I'm a dick. Tailscale.com/coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to twenty devices, and of course, you're supporting the show. Tailscale is a zero config VPN. You install it on any machine or device in minutes. It'll take care of the firewall rules, and I gotta say, it also manages that dreaded carrier double net some of us end up with. Hand on heart. Last night, before bedtime, this was for me, I'm an old man, it's about 9.30 p.m., and I realized that I had just figured out how to fix something on one of the devices in the studio. Like, it just came to me. And I was like, oh, God, it's so obvious. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, is on my iPad, I have Tailscale. And I have the Termulus app. And I have my Tailscale IPs for my different hosts already saved in there. <laughs> so I fire up my iPad in, you know, half a second. And I'm connected even quicker to this host that's here at the studio. And I'm parked out in the woods at, at the foot of the Cascade Mountains on Verizon or AT&T or, you know, I don't know. Brand. I don't know which network I was on because I'm on this mobile setup I have. But either way, I am natted up the wazoo and Tailscale just works instantly. You can quickly and easily create a secure flat network between you, your servers, your computers, your devices. This is a way I've brought my different VPS systems together on their same network. And I can actually connect them to my systems that I have here at the studio that are maybe running in a VM. It's also how I keep connected to my family's computers and provide support. I have it running on everything from Raspberry Pis to iPads, huge Arch x86 boxes, OpenSUSE machines. I mean, you name it. And the devices, they connect through your existing identity provider. And there's a lot of consumer options, but you can easily also use a business option and work with multi-factor authentication, deauthorized devices as you need. And all of this is protected with WireGuard's noise protocol. I knew WireGuard was going to change the game, but Tailscale has taken this to the next level. And they've just made a solution here that's changed the way I work forever. you got to try it for yourself. And you can try it for free for up to 20 machines. When you go to tailscale.com slash coder. Free for up to 20 devices. And you support the show. Tailscale.com slash coder. This is a weird, awkward situation. A long-time free app used by many in our community is looking to go subscription. Telegram is adding a premium subscription, according to current betas. And we don't know the price yet because that information is not in the beta builds. But we do know it looks like, as a perk, you're going to get very special stickers and you're going to get a special emoticon customizer and probably other things of which we do not know yet. But uh, here we are in 2022 and another app that's been 
essentially supercharged by being free. And I got to imagine it's expensive because I, I've uploaded like 400 megabyte video files to Telegram and they take them, right? I mean, the file storage alone, just based on having 2,000 users on our matrix server, <laughs> I can tell you it's astronomical if, uh, if they have, you know, millions and millions. But here we are. It just feels like another f- subscription. Are you serious? Like, I love Telegram and I use the crap out of it. But, oh, my God, dude, another, another subscription. I'm going to die. I, I want to, like, cut back. And, like, what I subscribe to is, like, really considered stuff that really makes a difference. Stuff that either makes a difference in my life or or whoever I'm supporting. And I just cannot get behind, like, arbitrary subscriptions for all of this stuff. What else can we do? I don't know, but there it is. Telegram's going premium. You don't care. You're not a Telegram user anymore, are you? No, I don't use Telegram anymore. Ah! That's how I feel. That's how I feel because I, I know I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna be getting upselled thirty times a day eventually. That's how it all. It always goes this way. You know what? It it always comes back to how do we fund software development? I swear to God, if they would just let me throw them a few sats, you know, once a day or something, I'd be happy. All right, just a little follow-up before we get to your hiring news. We talked about this last week. Apple has now shared a new developer update clarifying its App Store improvement policies. It's extending the amount of time it's giving developers to update their apps that haven't been updated in two years, from 30 days to 90 days. But here's the part that I do not like. Apple says that apps that have not been updated within the past three years and which do not meet a minimum threshold for downloads i.e. extremely few or limited downloads in a rolling 12-month period, are still subject to the policy, and those developers will get notices via email. So I guess an app's value is determined by its downloads? You know, I can see where they're coming from, but there's, there was a good conversation on, on the iOS dev, I think, or underscore dev, there's two of them on Reddit, where game developers were kind of bitching, like, you guys don't understand, we write the game, we update Unity, and it basically runs for years. We and you know we, their sales are so meager, for the for most of them, right? It's a video game, right? They sell the you. How many times it, everybody is about to be forced to buy Sonic One, Two, and Three again because Sega's re-releasing them? It's the same. It's the same. And I'm gonna be one of you, so I don't. This is not me dunking, but it's like this is a stupid policy. If if the app works, if the game works, Apple should just leave it on the store. Here's my angle. Like, you can't have it both ways, Apple. If you don't want a sideloading, and I got a small team, and, you know, we need an app for doing business, or maybe we're maybe when we're out in the field doing live stuff, we have, like, a Jupiter Broadcasting team app, and it's got 10 users. So, you know, okay, well, should I come up with some way to sideload that? Should we all enroll in some sort of developer program? Should I, should I force all of the volunteers of JB to to get enrolled in some sort of device management system? Like, what is my solution here other than to distribute it in the App Store? And now because I've built something and I've utilized the only distribution mechanism they'll let me use in any real meaning way, meaningful way, because I've utilized the only system they've made available, I'm now being punished for it. Like, there are actually apps. I mean, they probably should be pulled, but there are apps that we've distributed like that. Just, you know, some quick app that we've created as a tool or a concept that we put in the app store. We only internally, you know, had, you know, we told a few people about it, wanted to be able to tell randos. So we wanted it public. And, you know, that probably would not qualify. It's it's probably been cold. Let the people sideload Apple. Make it a pain in the ass. Never gonna happen. All right. Well, 
You know what is happening? The Mad Botter's hiring. That's happening. Got several positions. Yes, we are. We have three positions. Yes, TypeScript developer, a lot of Ionic, a lot of Angular, very mobile focused, but, you know, desktop too, right? Because the world is hard. We have three positions, a more senior Python developer, a junior Python developer, and this TypeScript position. All of them are preferred on site in Plant City, which I think is going to be the topic of next week's show, Chris. What do you think? I'm down. Okay. But there are remote options available with the caveats that we only have, uh, what do they call them, employment charters? Or that's not the right word. But in the U.S., you have to have a, not a license, but you have to be registered as an employer in each state. So right now we're only registered in New Jersey and, and Florida. Ah, so they have to be a contractor if they're remote? If they're not in either of those states, they would have we would have to work something else out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or sense. we could open. Like if it's Georgia, it's different because you're right here. But yeah. I want a job, but I just want to get paid under the table for it. Is that doable? Yeah, yeah, it's very hard to do that anymore. I Trust know, me. I, thought, I, I mean, whoa, oh, no. I <laughs> no, of course not. No. So two <laughs> Python roles. We're very heavy on Fast API and Flask. A uh, lot of Jinja 2, a lot of Jinja 2, and the TypeScript stuff is almost all Angular. All right, we'll have a link to that in the notes at coder.show slash 464. Oh, and a fancy new domain name because I was jealous of your office hours. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Totally ready. Forget themadbotter.com. What is that crap? Ooh, so long. TMB.inc. TMB.inc. An ink. An ink. That's that is that's legit, you know. It's legit. That's how you do it. Dot hair is over in Clown Town, but that's that's getting to work. I tried to buy the dot hair, <laughs> and it, it, it's weird. It showed me a giffy of you, yeah. like flipping your luxurious locks. It wouldn't let me do it. I got to be careful, else it hits the microphone, makes a big noise. I want to say a special thank you to our members over at CoderQA.co. That's a way to give value back to the show on an ongoing basis, and it really makes a difference. It lets us be picky. You know, I don't talk about it because it sounds like we're bragging, but we get lots of offers every single week for all kinds of weird sponsorships or limited run things or fly by night operations. Or another really common one is people want to pay us to have like their marketing person on the show or something like that. And our members give us the flexibility to say no to all that kind of stuff. And as a thank you, you get a ad free version of the show. You get the Coderly Report, and you can become a member at CoderQA.co, or you can support all the JB shows and get all of the network perks for every single show at Jupiter.party. And of course, if you want to give back on an individual basis or just a little extra, you can send in a boost with a new podcasting app at newpodcastapps.com. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people this week? Uh, go to tmb.inc or yeah! alice.dev. I do like that new domain. That's tight. That's nice. That's great for the social era that we seem to dread so much. You can find me at Chris LES on the Twitters while I'm still there. <laughs> you can join our Matrix server. It's colony.jupiterbroadcasting.com. Go create a free account on matrix.org and then join our server. we got two different coder chat rooms in there. It's a really nice community. Links to what we talked about today for this year's show, coder.show slash 464. Our contact form is over there. That's a big part of the show. Your feedback goes directly in, makes the show what it is. We appreciate it. And last but not least, join us on a Monday, noon, Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. Thanks so much for being here. See you next week.